Welcome, welcome, welcome. Episode 12, Iron Steel Processing. It's your girl, Cece. Cylindro. So, I want to talk about the news real quick. I don't want to get through this because I know I can get long-winded. The topic today I really want to talk about was risk. Because a lot of us are dealing with a lot of risk when we go to the grocery store. We're dealing with a lot of risk with being in our department. We're dealing with risk when we go get curbside food. When we have people deliver pizza to our house. When we have to even weigh the, the pros and the cons in moving or getting a job or whatever the case may be. So what I did was... Over the last few days, oh God, probably about five or six days, I was trying to get more information about risk and risk assessment and risk management. A lot of the information I found out there, they were talking more around the, the financial industry or they were talking more about like the IT security industry. So, but a lot of this information was pretty much almost the same, the basis of it all and how you kind of go about tackling it. And I know a lot of you guys have to deal with reprocessing N95 masks. So a risk assessment had to be done. And of course, I'm assuming you were also in the room when that had taken place because you are the frontline members of, you know, team or staff or what have you that actually have to push that line because you're the one dealing with picking them up or having them delivered and decontaminating them if you had to and then reprocess them. So I kind of want to bring that up. And then also, um, I was looking at Facebook. We got DeAndre Long, who's on there, and he has a surgical reprocessing training course that started April the 21st, 2020, which is bomb because a lot of people have side hustles. I'm not saying this is his side hustle, but a lot of people have other things that are going on that were able to sustain them during COVID-19. And you have a lot of people who are looking for things to do or create, you know, business for themselves during COVID-19 to get them through this. And a lot of people are going to create new things that's going to get them past this. Some people are going to return to sterile processing. Some may not. So I may even go into a whole nother industry after this. So this is a time to, in my opinion, you know, probably reflect or think or retrain or re-educate. Also, I noticed on Facebook, you have people in departments talking about that they test, you know, other people have tested positive for COVID-19 and they're waiting for their results to come back. And honestly, I felt that being in the department was one of the safest places to be only for the fact that we have the air exchanges the way we do. Compared to, you know, going out to the grocery store, even being at home, those air exchanges are being properly exchanged as long, you know, facilities doing their job and the filters and things like that are being changed out like they're supposed to because there's research on that viruses or whatever can hang out in areas, you know, dealing with your whole HVAC system. But I haven't done enough research to even speak on that. I just kind of breezed through that and, you know, ran into that information. So I'm pretty much saying I felt like that was a safer place to be. And I know conversations that came up where people were asking if they should have an N95 mask when they were in decon. But the question was never asked, should I have it when I'm on the clean side, when I'm working, you know, up close or next to other co-workers or what have you, before people really started doing the social distancing. And that probably was a conversation we probably should have had. But I don't recall that conversation being had. And I call myself a Facebook troll. So I've been out there reading and looking. I didn't run into that. So that's why you have to weigh your risk and figure out what makes sense to you. And if somebody shame you because you want to overly protect yourself, then how dare they? Because it's your life and it's your family. And you're the one, you know what I'm saying, paying your bills and taking care of your family. So you need to do whatever it is you think that, you know, makes you safe, even if it, even if it is above and beyond. Why is it okay for us to go above and beyond for everybody else? But when you do it for yourself, you're overdoing it or you're being selfish or anything like that. You know, I had talked to um, a young lady. I 
I had different uh, pieces of her, our conversation on the podcast. And one thing she did was she took care of herself. If she had to go out and buy something that made her feel safe, then that's exactly what she did because she had to protect herself. She enjoyed what she did and she understood. Like she said on the podcast, I understand that they have their own financial obligations, but I got to take care of me. And that's one thing you have to do first and foremost. So you have to raise those, uh, weigh those risks. Also, I want to talk about, they have this coming up, um, the thing called contact tracing. And this is where they want to, they want to contact everybody who were in contact with somebody who tests positive for COVID-19. Also, they want to use contact tracing just to gather information in certain demographics or areas or geographical locations to find out are people in these areas testing positive for COVID-19. So I'm like, okay, well, this could possibly be a new market for people to have as a side hustle. Maybe you do it on the weekends or maybe you don't want to do it at all. Or maybe at least you will know if you see this going on in your area, this is a new um, like emerging market. And I'm going to see if I can find this article that I have here. They're doing in Massachusetts. Actually, Massachusetts recruited like 1,000 tracers. They call them tracers. And I'm sure you guys are used to hearing that word tracer because that's what um, that's a method or a system that uh, JCO uses. They do like, I think it's called a patient tracer or something like that, where they, they trace the patient's experience from when they, you know, get into the hospital until they're discharged. Well, anyways... They um they hired like uh, 1,000 tracers up there in Massachusetts for the COVID-19, and I found that on NPR. And the title of that article was "Massachusetts Recruit 1,000 Contact Tracer Tracers to Battle COVID-19," and that article was April the 13th of 2020. And then also ABC News talked about that. Uh, experts call for new national police health workforce. I'm sorry, police. Experts call for new national public health workforce to trace spread of COVID-19 cases. So that's what they're doing. And that's what they're moving toward because really the only way a lot of people feel like we can really totally open up the economy if, if we do better testing. So I also looked into uh, other career options. I found a website called onetonline.org. And what, what I did was I pretty much just put in sterile process and they call it something else. They call it instrument what they call this instrument techs or something like that equipment workers or equipment preparers something like that but anyway after it, it drops down at the bottom and it pretty much give you other industries that are related or they feel like we have transferable skills so i want to kind of bring that up because a lot of them pretty much they just really on the job training like it is in sterile process and i think maybe one of them wanted you to have an associate's degree or something like that but that's pretty much it so I do want to also bring that up to you. So what we're going to do now, I'm going to go ahead and take a, a break. And then when I come back, I'm going to let you hear this podcast that's going to break down this whole contact tracing for you. They're doing it in China. And then you get to hear how that's working for them in China. And then from there, we'll go ahead and we're uh, kind of define risk. What is risk? The type of uh, people you want to get involved with your risk assessment. And then, you know, how does that look with your own risk and your personal life? And then um, besides me talking about the different careers that we can get into as far, you know, moving from sterile processing text, maybe into a new field, we'll talk about that and then we'll wrap it up. So we're going to take this break. I'm going to bring you back with this podcast. Okay, here's the podcast that's going to um, explain uh, contact tracing. One of the key 
system that is going to have to ramp up. Something epidemiologists think about all the time, but the rest of us have really only heard about recently. It's called contact tracing. Let's go to ABC senior investigative reporter Aaron Katursky, who's been looking into how states are actually planning to implement this. So first, Aaron, what is this? What is contact tracing? Brad, this is the tried and true method that health officials all over the world have used to control infections for decades, and it involves finding the carrier's contacts, not casual contacts, but people who have been in close quarters with the carrier of the coronavirus, and then figuring out if they are sick, and if they are, isolating them so they don't expose anybody else. And it's really 19th century public health measures. It's boots on the ground. It's interviewing people who might be quite scared and panicked. So, Brad, this has been done for decades in various ways, but it has never been done on the scale required for the United States of America to reopen from coronavirus. Yeah, my name's Lee Sheree. I work for Salt Lake County Health Department. In some cases, public health officials have simply gone out into the community to find all the close contacts of the sick. What date did you start to feel like you had some kind of symptoms or respiratory symptoms? You could use a big phone bank and call people to say, hey, you've been in contact with a coronavirus carrier. How are you feeling? Did you have any muscle aches or chills or congestion? Massachusetts has begun to hire people in eight communities north of Boston. They've hired 250 people, and they're going to be the contact tracers. You don't need any special skills to do this. You could work under the direction of a trained public health official. One idea has been to take all the people that have been unemployed, laid off because of coronavirus restrictions, and put them to work tracing all coronavirus carrier contacts. That's important. Why? Just to, to give you a sense of like where the thing is traveling? That's right. The only way you can contain a second wave of coronavirus is to understand not only who has it, but who that person may have come into contact with. So far, the Panhandle Health District has done contact tracing with 650 people. By doing this, they say the virus will eventually have nowhere else to go. Because the theory, Brad, is that every coronavirus carrier has 10 or so intimate contacts. So one case can quickly multiply tenfold. You know, if one of those 10 contacts gets on a plane to, I don't know, Boise, Idaho, you can give officials there a heads up and then protocols would dictate whether that person needs to be isolated. Should I feel weird, Aaron, that like that, that there are essentially government employees right now and, and that states are saying, hey, let's get even more government employees to do this, to essentially track where either I've been or where my friends have been or where my bus driver's been? Like, do people have concerns about this? There are real questions about contact tracing, and a major frustration is that sometimes people are dishonest about where they've been. So really, this is only as good as the self-reporting that public health officials can collect. And let's say you decide not to do it in person or even over the phone. Do you have a big corporation do it like apple or google maybe it's an app and do you want all of those companies then having access to your personal health information the technology would use bluetooth data to keep track of phones that have been close to each other it'll first roll out in may as an app designed by public health agencies but apple and google have plans to build the function directly into their phone's operating systems in fact brad apple and google have been working together to enable bluetooth technology to help public health officials do contact tracing and if you get close enough for a long enough period of time 
Apple and Google can record that, and in the event that you are diagnosed positive with COVID-19, they can send out an alert to other phones that you were here for that certain period of time. This would be an opt-in kind of technology, though, so again, only as good as those willing to participate. And you mentioned Massachusetts. Also, the state of Utah started doing this type of tracing early and often. They say it has already helped them to kind of nip these new outbreaks in the bud. They Okay, so now I want you to listen to what's going on in China with um, how these apps are on their phones and it gives them access to move about because they're able to prove on their phone with the app that they're safe. Otherwise, I guess their transportation would be restricted or their ability to move around would be restricted. To China, they have this app that's been rolled out which is built into the apps that many Chinese use on a daily basis. And this app gives a person a color-coded uh, health code. So green, you're good to go. That means you're in good health. You've completed your quarantine in a certain city. Yellow means that you're a close contact of someone who has the coronavirus. And red means you're sick or you have the coronavirus and you need to be quarantined or treated. So red basically means you can't go anywhere. But the, the red light, though, Carson, how does that work? Because is, is it just testing people all the time, like on the streets, or is it just kind of circumstantial stuff? In China, for years, they've been collecting big data on, on their citizens. And so when they sign up for this app, they use all this data and assign you a, a sort of risk factor for the rest of the population based on where you live, uh, who you've come in contact with, where you've traveled to, uh, where your cell phone has traveled to. Uh, and based on that, they, they color code you. In most places you go to China, you would have to either show your code, your green code, or you have to scan uh, another QR code going in that kind of registers you at a certain location. So, so not just work, Carson, like it, it tracks how you're getting around as well. So Brad, when, when you go on a bus, for example, you'd have to use your phone and scan a QR code that's on the bus. And that basically registers you on the, being on that bus. And when you get off the bus, you have to scan the code again. So if something happens to you or you get sick or you catch the coronavirus, the system knows that you've been on the bus. And, you know, if you get sick, they would give a yellow code for everybody else on the bus. When Wuhan opened up last week, you saw footage of cars going by the toll booth. But before they did, every single passenger inside that car had to put up their phone and show their green health code before they were waved so both these podcast um little inserts that i gave you they come from a podcast called start here and you will be able to find it there uh, the title of one of them is called reopening and the title of the last one is called the price we pay so what we're going to do take a quick pause real quick and then we're going to come back and then we're going to talk about the different career options that we probably can have that we can pivot from the sterile processing field. And also we're going to get into risk, risk in the sterile processing department, like for people who have to figure out what to do with the N95 masks, the different other departments that you probably need to get on your side, the regulatory agencies that you probably need to refer to. And also how you can apply risk assessment or risk management in your everyday life.
Okay, so what I want to talk about now is um, other career opportunities that... Okay, so I went to this website. Let me tell you that first. It's called onetonline.org. And what I did was I typed in sterile processing, but they didn't have anything for sterile processing. What they had was medical equipment preparers. And here it lists our tasks, technology skills, our knowledge, our skills, our abilities. And each one of these subtitles that I'm mentioning, they have actual descriptions under them. So like, for instance, for your abilities to be um, a processing tech, they have near vision, um, problem sensitivity or oral comprehension, arm hand steadiness, deductive reasoning. So that's what you will find under abilities. And then they talk about work activities as being evaluating information to determine compliance with standards or documenting, recording information. So this would be a really great tool to use if you're putting together a resume and you want to bring up your different skills. They do really a great deal with using keywords and key skills that you can add to a resume or you can use as um, something on a cover letter when you're applying for different jobs. But as you scroll down, they have an area down here that's, oh, I scrolled too far. It's called Related Occupations. And here they have a histotechnologist and a histologic technician. And they have an endoscope technician, which we're familiar with that because Isham has a certification for that. And on the side of that, they say it's a bright outlook as far as jobs go. And another one that was interesting to me, they have a, a semiconductor processor. Also, that if I'm not mistaken, you really don't need any formal education. Some of these you may need an associate's degree at the most, but for the most, it's on-the-job training, just like sterile processing. It'll also give you the trends as far as the projected growth with each field, even in the sterile processing field. It'll give you the uh, median wages, the state trends, and everything like that. So it's a whole lot of data that you can find here to get more in-depth information about the field that you're in, how does it look on the local level, the employment trends, and then you can also look at um, related occupations that you probably want to move over to that you know while you're already in the field so now i want to move over to risk and kind of talk about what is risk and there's different definitions out there some of them a little bit more in depth than others but i'm just going with a basic one it's possible damage or potential loss and that's pretty much what risk is so the website i put together and i've been working on for the last day or two and i've also been trying to you know collect a lot of information that you probably will find useful but the website is spd covid19.carrd.co you'll find a lot of um youtube videos you'll also find pdf files on there that you can use and there's a lot of resources so when you get to the website you'll find there's a countdown because that was from that point in georgia when they end up shutting us down i think we're down to 34 days as of today april 24th i mean 21st of 2020 and then you click on resource and resource will open up all the videos and all the resources that you probably can use. And the reason why I really want to talk about risk is because you're going to use risk in sterile processing. You're going to use risk in anything that you pretty much do, whether it's in business or if it's in your personal life. And for those of you out there who were dealing with the N95 mask, I'm sure you have to deal with a risk assessment. And then you're going to have to deal with it when you decide to make different changes in your life. If you want to move on to maybe a different field or you want to buy a house or you want to move to a different state, you're going to have to weigh the risk and figure out what works for you. So there's a lot of different 
information out there. And a, a lot of the information is based around security risks or IT risks, as far as like hackers and things like that. A lot of it is around financial risk. But a lot of the basis of it all is pretty much the same. And one of them, what they're saying is, one of them I ran into is say, you need to plan, you need to prevent, you need to accept what's going on and you need to contain it. And then it was another site I went to, they put risk in the middle and then around it, you, you have to identify your threats, your assets and your vulnerabilities. Now, when you're dealing with sterile processing department, a couple of things that I had, you know, kind of ran into when I was trying to compile all this information was like, the first thing in my mind, you need to know who should be involved in your risk assessment, like who should be in the room. And when it comes to you, you looking like who internally should be involved and then who externally should be involved. So I came up with a list internally. You can add to it, you can take away from it. You can let me know if everything I'm saying is crazy. You know how to find me on Facebook, I on spd at gmail.com. You can find me there as well. You need to have infection control. I call them infection control. I think they're saying now infection preventalist, whatever. Quality risk assessment. I think they're one in the same nowadays. You need to think of, deal with the people who's going to be affected downstream when you make these different implementations. Who's going to be affected? You have different co consultants out there who are experts in these different fields who can help you make better decisions. So those are the people, and they could be right there in your hospital, who can give you um, a better idea how you should go about those. So I'm thinking those are internal. Then when you start leaving outside of your hospital or your department, then you start thinking externally and then you have different um, associations out there. You have different regulatory agencies that are out there. So Shea is one of them I had never even heard of until I started doing this research. And they're the Society of uh, Epidemiology of America. And that really came up really because of now dealing with the COVID-19. You have the CDC, you have APIC, you have the FDA, you have WHO, and then you have peer-reviewed journals that you can refer to too to help guide you. And then what are you looking for? You're looking for regulations and you're looking for best practices. And as you know, with the whole COVID-19 thing, the CDC, the FDA, a lot of the information was changing a lot. But I think if you change with that and if you use best practice, if you have infection control and quality a part of your process, then at least whatever you do is is, is backed by sound proof or, or sound studies. And then your own personal studies that you do there too, because we understand we have validation and we have verification. And you know, you can hospitals can validate their processes. But it, it, it takes time to do that. And it is, it's important to take the time to do that and not just rush into implementing something without you being able to verify that the results are safe for the end user and safe for the people who's actually processing it. So that's also important to think about. So then when I want, I kind of want to talk about your regular life when you're dealing with risk or risk assessment. So when you're dealing with risk, you, you people that you can look for inside of your internal circle probably would be your family and your friends personal experts you may know in your family your pastor or somebody like that that you would use to help you figure out what you want to do so like for instance if you want to buy a house then you probably would um talk to eight different you know realtors or different agents or whatever to get an idea what the process is or what can you expect and how you can deal with something like that you may also call the national association of realtors to find out, you know, those are, those are agents governing bodies to help to find out what's regulated, how things are supposed to go, so you get an idea of how to rate your risk. Uh, for instance, if you wanted to um, 
buy you a car or whatever and you're going to a dealership you have people that regulate these people and they're called the federal trade commission and you can go to them and you can find out how things are supposed to be done you know what i mean you can call individual dealerships to see you know what that they offer to help you make a better decision also for a lot of people who want to go back to school and you know they want to make a better decision and they want to raise the uh, away the risk you have the u.s department of education and there you can find out if your school is accredited you see what I'm saying? If you want to find out the projection of your job, it's time for you to find a new job. It's time for you to move away from sterile process and maybe into a different field. You can get information to find out uh, what are the risks of layoffs in that, um, that profession that you want to move on to. The U.S. Department of Labor Statistics have numbers. That's, that's a government body. They have numbers that you can use to help you make a better decision on what you want to do. If you want to move, there's a website you can go to. It's called city-data.com. It comes, it calculates all these different things that you may need to consider when you want to move on to a different city. If you want to travel, whether it's you want to travel on a plane, train, or automobile, you have the Bureau of Transportation Statistics that you can use to help you figure out, you know what I mean? Do you, are you guys following me? That's all I want to know. Because if you want to go into a new hospital, or you want to find out what's going on with this hospital, check out my website. I have spdtravel.carrd.co. It's a wealth of information for you to find out what jobs are paying in different cities, what the ratings are at different hospitals, how to find housing, how to just figure out, because we're all dealing with risk in every part of our life. We're dealing with it in sterile processing, but we're also de dealing with it in our personal life. It's important for you to weigh the risk. It's important for you to know that when you decide to show up for work, whenever your city is opened up and it's time to go back, you need to weigh the risk. Do, are we? Are they testing people here? Will I have proper PPE when I go in here? Uh, will I be six feet away from people? And you need to use anything that I have on that website for you to do your own personal risk assessment to figure out what you need to do to protect you and your loved ones. Because like they say on the plane, you put that mask on yourself first. Because if you don't save, your, save yourself first, you can't save nobody else. So I'm going to go ahead... And get into some news. I was supposed to do the news first, but I'm going to do the news now. <clears throat> it's a lot of news going on here. And I'm going to take a break. And then we're going to come back from the break. And then I'm going to give you the news. Okay, so we're going to wrap this up with the news. Um, I want to start off with... And like I said, you guys can subscribe to this. this is Becker's Spine Review. And this was released April the 16th. And this, the title of this is 19 Spine Devices Received FDA 510K Clearance in March. And you guys know what you know the 510K clearance is. So this is important really to sterile processing because we're going to have new devices coming in, new instrumentation coming in because what's going on is a lot of things are being pushed through faster than what they normally do. But please remember that we need to get in service on this. We need to know what these instruments are. We need to know how to properly process these instruments. So I'm sure you guys have heard of Nuvasive. Nuvasive is coming out with a couple of things. Uh, Megafix, Pinnacle, Screw, Spinal Removal, they're coming out with stuff. So I will also link this into the um, the show notes so you'll be able to come to this and you'll be able to see who's um, who received clearance and you probably be, you look forward to seeing that in your hospital. If you already have those reps coming through your hospital, I'm sure you would have that. And we have the right to have 
the IFUs on that because you know a lot of people push stuff through it show up in the washer and come on on the clean side and you're like okay how do we process this you should be able to know the other one is this article came out also in uh, Becker's Spine Review. This was April the 17th of 2020. Here this an elective outpatient surgery begin to return insights for spine surgeries. So on April the 16th, President Donald Trump released his opening of America plan. So Detroit-based Henry Ford Health System resumed outpatient surgery at five of their hospitals. The operating rooms, let me see where we are. What they're saying is they're going to they're going to test their the team that's going to be in the operating room, and they're also going to taste the patients. Oklahoma also cleared the path for elective surgeries to begin in April. <clears throat> and this is, and they say begin in April, but this article was already in April. So that means they started ASAP. So you have a lot of surgery centers that are going to open up and they're going to start doing their surgeries first. Also, in uh, this is hospital, this is Becker's hospital review. So they have different reviews. This is also April the 16th. This one here, the title is called 73 Hospital Leaders in 10 States Hit Hardest by COVID 19 Offer Advice to Colleagues. If you do nothing else, at least do this. And I'm not going to go through this list, but it's a lot of different hospitals throughout the United States that want to tell people what they should have done or what they could have done and maybe what we can do moving forward dealing with this because they were hit the hardest. So they have some tips they can pass on to us that will also be in the show notes also um is this the last one yeah this is the last one this is also by beckers it's called hospital cfo report this one is to title state by state breakdown of federal aid per covid case and this one was put together on tuesday april the 14th of 2020 and here they go by each state what each state was given for the covid 19 and you have something like it was very surprising to see you have New York. Let me scroll down to New York. New York received $12,000 when you have Mississippi re- received $166,000. So I don't know how the politics works with that, but that's what's going on with that. And all that will be in the show notes so that you can um, go over it yourself. So, what you know, I want you guys to respond to the podcast. If you have any questions or information, if you want to be on the podcast, if you have any ideas or anything or topics or whatever you think that we should talk about, Go ahead and hit the link so that you can just leave a voicemail. You can find me on Facebook. You can email me at Solyndra at ILSPD.org, ILSPD at gmail.com. You guys be safe out there. And when I come up with any more useful information that I believe that you can use, you'll hear from me. Otherwise, be safe.